Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and welcoming a special friend again, Jay Wilson. How are you doing, Jay? I'm good. How are you, Brandon? I am good, man. It's been a while. You've been one of yes. the earlier episode guests that we've had on before. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a bit. For sure. So just as a refresher uh, for, for the newbie listeners and viewers out there, uh, this is the part of the podcast where I ask our guest, which is yourself, a little bit about your past, your present, and what your future is looking like. Just a little intro. Well, um, so my past, I worked um, for several companies. Um, my, I started at Monolith working on first-person shooters, moved to Relic Entertainment working on uh, RTSs, um, their Dawn of War, Impossible Creatures, Company of Heroes. Um, I was the lead designer or design director on all of those. And then after that, I went to Blizzard, where I was the game director on Diablo three, and uh, also did a, a bunch of a bunch of other things. I redid the combat for uh, for World of Warcraft for Legion and um, and lots of things. I can't talk about because they're all secret so yeah that is quite a resume man still as impressive oops <laughs> as the second time i heard it so uh we never really talked about a particular topic but i always like to have uh i wanted to come on to to kind of give like a perspective right especially with how things are now uh it, it feels like a transitional period for game developers uh the remote home thing is very foreign to our industry uh i would say in a lot of big companies are resistant to that uh but now it's f- i would say at least <laughs> more embraced and it's kind of kind of changing how we interact with each other and dealing with these huge IPs and being a person like yourself working on these huge IPs where it was unthinkable to think that it can be spread out so far and wide in multiple homes like this. Um, I would love to kind of hear kind of, you know, your thoughts uh, of what this last year looked like, what, what it, how it can affect our industry going forward. Well, it's interesting for me since I left Blizzard, um, I, which I didn't mention, I left Blizzard four years ago. Um, I've been working from home, and so it was just kind of more of the same. Um, but what I noticed from the industry as a whole is it kind of depends upon what your job is, is how much you enjoy the work from home. If your job is primarily to sit at a desk and make things, for the most part, people seem to really be more productive. Um, in that process. If your job is to mostly talk to people, which is, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of management, a lot of, uh, you know, um, people who run large uh, 
studios, they, they spend a lot of time communicating um, and enabling communication. And for them, that's obviously a much more challenging um, situation. So it kind of depends upon who you ask. For me, I think it's a good thing because for the most part, um, the general sentiment that I've heard is that people think it works better than it doesn't. Um, and there's a lot more um, willingness to um, fund studios that are remote and um, and to have remote uh, employees. Um, I think in the long run, it's going to be very difficult to take game development and make it completely remote um, for a lot of studios. Uh, it certainly is possible. Um, uh, there's lots of developers who already do it who've made great games. I, I, I off the top of my head, I know the developers of Ori are completely remote. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the success of your game doesn't really seem to necessarily relate to that, but we communication is so challenging on remote versus, um, versus doing it um, when everyone's in the same location, that I think you're going to still see a lot of developers who are resistant to it. Uh, so being actually, what what is interesting is that you have this outside perspective, um, doing this already for the last four years and, and seeing your fellow colleagues discovering this, <laughs> this new lifestyle. And, mm-hmm. but you had that time to kind of transition uh, in a more uh, comfortable pace that works for you because you know, I too, you know, uh, was remote uh, before this whole thing happened. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a transitional period for all of us, how we separate work from family, how do we separate work from home when you're actually at home. Um, and that is a long process. And I'm in, I, I would say I'm a still work in progress to kind of figure out what that balance is uh, to make it work for everybody. But coming from someone that has been a creative director of major franchises, um, which is the highest position of a creative discipline. The management part of it sounds, uh, can be complicated. You, know, you were talking about at least the design side of things. You guys like to talk and uh, it is very difficult. Um, you know, even conducting these interviews, I, I've been seeing a shift because, you know, before Zoom was cool, uh, Zoom interviews felt like, yeah, obviously you're over there. I'm over here. We got to talk. But now since everyone is doing five, six hours of Zooms and, you know, the interview part, (laughs) when we get to it, they're so tired of it. Uh, There's a huge fatigue bomb uh, with all these meetings kind of piling up. So, uh, yeah. So I would love to kind of hear, you know, going back to, 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 to handling such a big franchise over online meetings like that. I mean, I, I still, I know there's a lot of teams are trying to do it right now. And I also hear that it's difficult. There's still a lot of hump uh, to kind of figure out, but I would love to kind of hear your thinking process of uh, more highlighting the issues that uh, either will take a lot of time to, to, to figure or uh, issues that won't be solved anytime soon and needs to have some kind of hybrid approach or, or something. Well, you know, I, I'm actually a big believer in remote. Uh, I, I think that um, a lot of the time, uh, for a lot of companies, 
meetings are a big problem, not a big benefit. The meetings are usually held by, um, well, I don't want to be, I shouldn't be too general, like, because I, sh- I don't want to paint with a brush that like all meetings are bad and everyone who holds meetings is bad. But um, I think everyone's worked in a environment where they felt like there were too many meetings or the meetings were unnecessary. Um, and I think in a lot of those cases, there's, there's truth to it. Um, because a lot of the times we hold meetings when we feel like there is a sense of loss of control. Um, and, um, really that's game development. Like you kind of live in a sense of loss of control a lot of the times because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, you're dealing with a big team and they're all moving simultaneously and no one person can kind of keep all that in their head. And, um, I think one of the things that you kind of learn to do as you gain more and more experience is trust in the process. You trust that your people are going to move forward on their on their own you trust that you know that everyone in the process is an adult who um can be given adult responsibility um so i i think the challenges for remote going forward um are a lot more related to how do you replace that communication that both the employees and management need um, and how do you um, collaborate well? Um, I, I actually think to a lot of degrees, you can look to things like people are using Slack and, and similar types of, of programs. And I actually do think that will get you um, a lot of the way there. I think in terms of leadership and management, there's, a much higher responsibility towards being seen within your modes of communication that you have. Um, So if you have Slack, like um, you really want to be there. You want to, you want to post often. You want to keep discussions going. You want to contribute maybe overly, not to try and direct things, but to try and get them moving in the first place. Um, because it's, I think the hardest thing about remote is not that you can't communicate. The hardest thing about remote is that it's easy to not communicate. Um, and so you want kind of ways and methodology to, um, or just habits that will get that communication moving. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I definitely, I think, um, Remote is here to stay in some form. I, I truly believe that. Um, it, it's very hard to kind of show this life to a game developer and then take it away <laughs> when the pandemic's yeah. over, right? Uh, I think there's going to be a fight or at least an understanding that there is needs to be changes from a nine to five. Well, there's, so many, yeah. there's so many benefits to remote that, um, you know, I, I think... I think the the downsides that people thought, like people would just sit at home and goof off, like, you know, I, I just don't think game developers are like that. The the word that I hate most in relation to game developers is lazy. People love to use it all the time. Ah, they're just too lazy to add that feature. Um, there are lots of flaws you can you can put on game developers. Lazy is not one of them. I've never met a professional game developer who I thought was lazy. 
they all had to work really hard to get into the game development industry and they work really hard once they're there they're a passionate group of people um so the idea that people are going to goof off maybe you're going to get you know the occasional person who does maybe that is the easiest problem to solve because it'll be very obvious in their work output that they are not working um but in terms of what the real kind of problems with um remote relative to the benefits you know the fact that you can have a team built from anywhere that you can have people who you never would be able to hire otherwise because they're not willing to move or relocate like the game industry is small and as a result like if you want to work you move a lot and moving is really hard on families it's really hard on it's really hard on everyone and so the idea that you could hire a whole team of people and not and and not only not ask them to relocate but tell them they can live anywhere in the world if they don't have to move to the most expensive place in the world, which a lot of game companies are in some of the most expensive places in the world. Um, and the fact that you can give them an environment where um, a good number of people can focus uh, a, a lot better than they can in uh, a big office environment. The biggest problem I think you run into are, like I said, the, the communication issues that come up, which I think are solvable. And probably the hardest one is there are some people who do not like it and don't work well within it. And my, I'm going to be a little on the mean side there and say, welcome to the world of people who don't work well in offices. They've lived in your yeah. world all their yeah. lives. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, if they can live through that and suck it up and try it out, you can do the same thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people being exposed right now <laughs> in this in this new time. Uh, this actually leads into my next uh, uh, line of questioning. So uh, what happens now? Right. So this is the year that I anticipate that at least near the end, uh, we're going to start seeing game developers slowly crawling back into the workforce, uh, into an office, right? Just maybe slivers of it, maybe uh, at the end of the year with the vaccines uh, vaccines coming out. I mean, I don't know if you're still in Orange County. I mean, the numbers no, are pretty I'm, crazy right now. I actually live in Portland, Oregon now. Even better. I'm, so I'm the numbers are spiking, but... Uh, I think everyone is kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, at least where there is seems to be an ending somewhat. Right. Um, I would love to kind of hear uh, what you think is going to happen now with part of it is what you said might be a hybrid approach. Um, and part of it is uh, how, how I guess pro tips that you think where we are changing we are going to be working in a new environment, how game devs and teams can be effective in this new type of industry. Uh, same game industry, but a new type of office environment, right? And I, I completely agree with you, the visibility thinking, it's huge. In the office, you always, it's weird, but you have to, you have to overly say hi to people to make them realize that you actually are there doing work. Otherwise, it's very easy to sit in your cubicle and disappear. 
And I think a lot of game developers make that mistake. It's like, oh, it's about all about the work, right? As long as my work shows, then I'm good. It's not that, right? So, um, and then you add this extra element with online connectivity and remote working. And now we're going to see kind of what is the best of both worlds there for a developer or a team to like, really navigate through this in a successful way. Well, I think you're going to see um, uh, more of a hybrid approach. I think you're going to see a lot more game developers who are okay with people um, working from home as part of their time working. Um, the benefits um, are very high. If for no other, you know, I used to spend when I worked at Blizzard, I didn't work that far from from Blizzard, and I still lost an hour to an hour and a half every day commuting. Um, and so that's a lot of lost time. Um, but um, I still think that the benefits of and the natural desire that management has towards um, towards a, a single development location is is strong. And I think as um, the pandemic goes away, as we've seen in locations where you know, there are parts of the world where the pandemic is is either under control or even completely contained. And if you talk to people from those parts of the world, they're like, eh, everything's like it was before. Um, I think we thrive on normalcy um, and we'll move back towards it as quickly as we can. But I do think we'll be one more open towards people working from home. We've already seen some of the big um, developers not always in game development but in technology in general say yeah we're okay with it i think google has said yeah you can work from home for the foreseeable future even after the pandemic um so i think we're going to see a lot more of that um i think we're going to see like good managers looking at their people and realizing how they're most productive and putting them in those situations whether that be work from home work in the office um, or a hybrid. Um, I also think you're going to see a lot more uh, remote studios. Um, so that is going to be a thing. I think it's going to work better with small teams. Um, you know, just naturally, small teams, communication is less of an issue in general. Um, and as a result, um, I think remote lends itself to a small team better than it will to. So by small, I mean under 45. Um, I, I know that's a really specific number, but it's been my experience that there are break points in, in team size. And 45 is one of those break points. I don't know why it's not 50, but it feels like over 45 is right around where you, you, you get this new, like you need another layer of management. You need better uh, to up your communication and, I think probably bigger than that, you're going to find challenges working remote. Not to say it can't work. It's just going to be harder. Um, and so I think you're going to see a lot of uh, smaller studios um, that are more successful. And for no other reason than it's, again, it's very difficult to get people to move for a small studio. But um, if you work remote, you can hire from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And actually, speaking of from anywhere in the world, although the remote working is great, and I, I really do think the the people with uh, 
professionalism and awesome work are never uh, should be f- never feeling insecure about their job. But overall, we are opening up a barrier of entry where uh, overseas now that, you know, everybody can connect remotely uh, unless a studio really has strict rules about time zones. There's a new level of talent that can be invited within a studio setting for any of the disciplines now and uh, at a fraction of the salary even. Right. So the, from that perspective, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about how real is that scenario where uh, where it used to be, you know, we work with people with visas before and they're super talented and stuff. But now <laughs> you don't need that. <laughs> and because of the visa thing, it, it prevented a lot of talent from getting into these great companies, work on these great projects. Right. Good and bad. Right. Mostly well, there, bad. Yeah. There still are legal issues with yeah. you can't just hire and and um, and have someone from another country work for you without working out. Um, I, I don't know the exact details of that, um, but it, it's not as simple, I think, as, um, um, as, oh, you no longer need a visa. But that being said, like there are a lot of scenarios where and already companies where they do that, where they, they actually um, have groups that are, or, or individuals that are working on the other side of the world. Um, and from what I've understood, the, there are a lot of benefits in, you think of it like, oh, well, that's a downside because um, one group is working at a different time than another group. And so their ability to communicate is not as good um, because of, of the difference there, you know, why one person sleeping when another group is awake. But actually, from what I've heard, um, the group, when one group sunsets, the other group starts and can address issues for the group that is off. And so you get this interesting back and forth um, that I, I, from what I understand, is can, can work quite well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, I, I think the idea that if you have a remote company, you can hire from a much broader talent set and, and from a much broader um, uh, geographical, you know, um, I don't know the words I was meant to, I was going to say words there and um, I don't know the words I was going to say, but from anywhere in the world, basically um, that, that um, idea, well, yeah, that's why you do remote. Like you, because you can hire from anywhere in the world. And I, I don't, when I say like, oh, you can hire from anywhere, I, I really do mean I'm not just talking about anywhere in the U.S. Um, or anywhere in North America. I do really think like, oh, yeah, you hire from anywhere because from every company I've ever worked for, we've always hired from all over the world. I've never worked in a studio where we where we didn't um, have people from Europe, people from Australia, uh, people from Asia who we pulled into the company. Um, and um, I can't imagine that it would be more difficult remote. It seems like it would be easier um, if for no other reason you don't have to talk somebody into leaving their life behind. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I recently, like everybody, just went on like a two-week holiday break, right? 
and it's um it's something i always look forward to every year as a game developer it's just like a a time to kind of just unplug and just be away from it (laughs) and just see what other joys of life i can i can find and discover or rediscover uh every christmas right and Mm -hmm. um I think it is a healthy, I think it should be longer. I think it should be more frequent throughout the year uh, because it is a very stressful job. And I equate every project to be like a sprint in a race one after another uh, until there is some rest, right? Which is, <laughs> you know, the game cycles are getting longer and longer. So um, you took four years away from the industry. Uh, and uh, I would love to kind of hear your what that feels like uh because even with my two weeks i'm able to i always equate it to uh not long enough but long enough to get the itch the creative urge to do something again to make a game or work on a project right and i love that feeling and i always also enjoy and, and and think about you know what is a long break from doing other things because creatively i think it helps as well um to get back into it and come up with new ideas especially as a designer such as yourself so i would love to kind of hear your your your, you know what was year one year two year three <laughs> not in crazy detail but just general feelings about what that was like uh uh being in the industry for so long well um not working is uh is great work if you can get it um for a while mm-hmm. uh, i um now that being said i i i spent you know, three years, uh, working on novels. So, um, I wouldn't say I was exactly not working, but I wasn't working in the game industry. Um, and, um, and it's a very different kind of, of work. Um, it, it's different in t- terms of time frame. Um, it's different in terms of what it asks from you. Um, and because ultimately I'm, I'm my own employer, I can take a break whenever I feel like it, which is great. Um, but I, you know, the thing I would tell anybody who doesn't want to work anymore is make sure you know what you're going to do with your time. Cause it, you know, I, I very quickly kind of went, um, yeah, I really like what I'm doing right now, but I, I miss game development. Um, you know, I miss working with a team. I, I don't, I don't really care for working alone, um, for all, um, and what I found is I, I do like I do like writing, and I I can try to accommodate both. At this point, I can write very quickly, so um, I do believe I can accommodate both. Um, but in terms of um, what it's like to kind of um, yeah, it's actually really hard. Um, I don't. I mean, boohoo! You don't have you didn't have to work for four years, um, but. Um, it does after a while it kind of feels and i think everybody who is stuck either not working or working from home during the pandemic will probably probably can relate now um that it you can start to feel like you know you got ants crawling under your skin after a while like you really you know i don't think humans are designed to not do things i think we're designed to you know um people always say like well how did they build the pyramids and you get a bunch of bored people sitting around, they will do crazy stuff. Um, and I think that's, that's the ultimate kind of takeaway from that I've gotten from not working for a little bit is I, I like working. 
Um, but, um, but yeah, it's nice taking some time off. Um, it's nice to get perspective. Um, the game industry burns people out like crazy. Um, so the thing I would tell people too, is if you feel burnt out, take some time, you know, if you can find a way, do it, do something else for a few years. Um, you know, it, the game industry will still be there when, when you come back, like they, they're not going anywhere. Hey guys, let's take a break and have a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by App Figures. App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may already know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you track competitors from how many downloads they're getting and how much money they're making to their audience demographics and even which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence gives you great context, say a competitor as a new feature or was mentioned in the news. With App Figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. Got a great idea for an app or a game? With App Figures, you can figure out how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, App Figures has the tools you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a large budget or a data science degree to do this kind of stuff anymore. App Figures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, App Figures also provides a lot of guides and tutorials to take you step-by-step step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. They just released a free guide on that, actually. So head over to appfigures.com, A-P-P-F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com forward slash on, O-N, forward slash game dev unchained to try App Figures for free. If you like it, then use our special code GDU3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. You're welcome. Yeah, I think one of the aspects that are starting to be discussed and working from home, yeah, I felt that way too. There's a mental toll that comes with it. And this is before the pandemic where I'm freely available to go outside. But my social interaction <laughs> quickly diminished. You know, you're not hanging out with your friends. There's that water cooler moment or that break room stuff. You know, just those little interactions add up throughout the day, completely gone when you work from home. And now, you know, times that by 10, people can't go outside um, or go anywhere where they normally would. And, um, you know, it affects everybody of all age group. And it's very difficult, uh, I think. I hope creatively there's something amazing that's going to come out of this because I really believe behind limiting people I, I wonder what kind of creative projects that are going to come out, out, out of this pandemic um but uh, at this point it's like hitting an expiration point it's like it's not worth it <laughs> like i'd rather be outside uh like it, well, it, it is I, constantly like that yeah i you know got up here and and because uh, i'm i moved from california to, to portland as i think i mentioned um and like i'm in three D groups um one of which i run um, I, uh, I spent, started spending a lot of time modding games just for my own, you know, benefit my own, mm-hmm. you know, satisfaction. So, you know, I not I'm not sure I ever truly left. Um, I just did it in my own way on my own time. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I, I think time off is, is good for what it does to your mindset. and. I do think as an industry, 
we need to be a lot more realistic about how long it takes to do things and how much time off refreshes the creative juices of our people. Um, I can't tell you how many times I, I, you know, I hear like, well, you can't do that in that amount of time. Like that's, that's just not, you know, that's too long. That's, you know, a death for, for a company or that's death for a dev team. Like, you know, that's, you just have to find a way to do it faster. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to, you're going to tell a dev team that they've got to do it faster, but I promise you it will take them longer. And when you get there two years down the road and they're not done, you're not going to throw those two years away. So you're just going to add more time on. Why don't you just be honest about how long it takes up front? Um, But People overall aren't every, but I don't know a project. Um, there are projects that are finished on time and on budget. Um, but I believe that those projects were realistically budgeted and realistically scheduled. Um, but most of the time projects don't hit their time frames or their budget. And sometimes that's mismanagement. And sometimes that's just unrealistic scheduling. Yeah. I think most of the time it's unrealistic scheduling personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would love to kind of discuss this with you, actually. I think you're a perfect candidate. <laughs> you know, cyberpunk is <laughs> a great example of this. Um, I think it, what makes that story different uh, for a while is because it's ushering a new generation of games, right? Uh, mm-hmm. For the new console. And appropriately slow, we're kind of looking towards that as what is the new model here? Is it the same thing as before? Or is it, you know, times 10 and effort and, and everything, but like the team is still the same size, right? So this is a team that long dev cycle, uh, eight years. And uh, I, I believe it's the, the, the response is just far greater than I've ever seen on a game before where... <laughs> Consoles are literally pulling it off of online shelves after after it was bought and refunding it. Never seen that before. It is quite new. And it's uh, exposing a lot of the issues that we are used to, right? But I think under a magnifying glass. Um, I would love to kind of get your general thoughts about that. Um, you know, being one yourself that have managed large teams like this, who are kind of used to longer dip cycles, to deadlines that feel short should be longer. I mean, it's, 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 I'll be loving to kind of hear your take on it. Well, I think the first thing I'll say is that my heart goes out to yeah. uh, CD project. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're in a position that is very, very tough. Uh, I, I can say like to anybody who's angry at them, I would say, um, there are a significant percentage of the lives of these people they've put towards this game. Like there are probably people on that game where they can say 25% or a third of my life I spent working on this game, um, depending on their ages. Um, and that's not a small thing. Like it's their lives and nobody there wanted a bad release um, in terms of the why um, it's 
it's so difficult to choose your time of release. Um, It's very difficult to defend the, the, the PS4 and, um, and Xbox one stuff. Like you should be able to just look and see that it can't run. Like that's really hard to defend. Um, But um, you know, you do reach a point with development where you have to take a gamble on, are we done? And those big, giant, complicated projects, you know, they can go on exponentially. And um, there's never, if you ask the development team, truly, there is never a point where they will feel the game is done. You will, they may, may do all kinds of like, Six months from now, we may all be looking back and going, oh, they, they released a couple patches and now Cyberpunk's awesome. And I actually think that is what's going to happen. Maybe the time frame isn't six months. Maybe it's 12 months. But I, I, I actually think that they will make good on, on Cyberpunk. Um, and we're going to be playing a, an awesome game. It's not that far off. It, it really is, on a lot of levels, uh, kind of a mind-blowing accomplishment. Um, it's just got a few things that I can see why they would gamble on. Um, and, and you know, I can see why they'd go, you know, let's do this. We think we can fix that before release. Or we think we can, you know, um, you know, we, we think maybe that's not as big a deal as we, as we, because you got to remember the dev team, they're so much closer to it than the, um, than the audience is. Then they, they don't, there's a lot of things that they they see it through a completely different filter, um, and so um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to it's a tough position because on the one hand, like I don't want I don't want to defend like developers releasing games before they're they're done. On the other hand, I don't think any developer wants to do that either, and I think when they do that, they do it under. Um, for lack of a better term, duress. You really can't, I can't express enough the pressure that is put upon a developer to release a game by everyone, including themselves. Um, the audience before the game is out will tell you, will tell the developer anything. We don't care about such and such. We don't care about like, we just want the game. Just give us the game. Whoa, you know, death threats and all this stuff. Like you, you just get this almost, you know, cacophony of release the game. Um, and it's not a, um, it's not a very great environment for making kind of calm, rational decisions. Um, and so as a result, sometimes people make mistakes. People aren't perfect. Um, I hope people judge the cyberpunk developers based upon where cyberpunk ends up, um, as opposed to how it released. Um, because I, I think that, I just have a lot of confidence. Like they are a company that has always done the right thing by their games. I believe that they will do the right thing by this one. Yeah. I think I'm in full agreement as well. Um, that they, they have enough 
goodwill and a track record to completely turn this around and complete it to the state that they wanted. It is earlier than they expected in terms of release. Uh, I'm playing through it. I'm playing it on PC. I think that's everyone's first mistake. Why are you playing on a PS4? <laughs> and it looks great. And there are bugs, obviously. And you can definitely see semblance of, oh, yeah, this is part of a, something amazing here. Um, as They just need more time. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm playing it on PC as well. And, um, like, I think I think what we when a, a release is troubled, what people often don't do is look at everything that's right. Like, everything that, that Cyberpunk has done that, like, no one's built a city like that before. Like, it's astounding. Um, the story, I really enjoy the story. I think the story's great. Um, and there's... They've captured like the feel of, of cyberpunk. Like they, they, you know, in a way that I don't think anyone ever really has in a game. Like they've done so much right um, that it's it's just hair pullingly frustrating for everyone. Again, including the developers, especially the developers, the few things that are wrong. Um, and there will be people who will never forgive them for that. And I would say to those people, like, why? Like, why not? If you eventually are going to get the game you wanted, why not forgive them? Like, if if you eventually get a great game, you know, that's what matters more than anything. Because for the most part, they're just not that far. Like. I can see why they released. They're not that far away um, from from something really great. And yeah, there's lots of bugs and, and things. Welcome to those games. Like, what Bethesda game doesn't have a lot of bugs? I'm sure they're sick of hearing about it. But when you make a game that complicated, it's just going to happen. Um, and as long as those bugs are are not game breakers and granted i know that there are so few that were um fixed very quickly by the way um then the that's just i don't do i think it's right of course not of course not like i don't think anybody thinks it right including the developers but i think when you make a game that's that complicated we're not at a place yet where we um can always make those bug free um and the developers who do make games that are that big and complicated that are relatively bug-free, you know, they probably have a long history of making those types of games. Um, and so they have, um, they've got a lot of practice at doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the funniest comparison videos that I'm seeing a lot after that backlash is, uh, it's being compared to Red Dead, which is unfair. It's being compared to Assassin's Creed games. It's like, guys, these guys, you know, this is the first big, the biggest game that they ever done is the first time they didn't do it with trees, right? <laughs> so it's like full-on city. It's a very tough thing. And I think there is a discrepancy, uh, both from the gamer and game developer side, because they're getting backlash from both sides. Um, the gamer side... Uh, you know, I th- I think there is a deteriorating notion uh, attributed to AAA because we're, they're seeing so much of this now with the Dramada, Mass Effect, all, all this stuff in recent years. Uh, buying games that are broken, 
uh, from day one, right? So they they feel like they're being cheated. Um, on the other side, I'm seeing it from the game developer complaining about why these games can't be done on time. Why these game? Why do we have to crunch? And it's, it's a weird. I'm always finding myself in the middle. It's like, and I always use Red Dead as an example. That's that's another game that's infamously crunching. And that took them eight years. And this is an experienced team, right? And I look at that game and I'm still playing through it. And I'm just like, and it's like three years old, five years old, pretty old game. And I'm looking around. I'm like, how did they make this? It is impossible for them to not... uh to do this in eight years and not crunch to get it to this it is so impressive that they got it to this state because even normally that would stretch even longer uh, to, to do it correctly on a timely manner. I don't know that I think it's impossible. I, I think it's actually quite possible. I just think that this industry is still young. Yeah. Um, and so managing like how many games the size of red dead redemption 2 or cyberpunk have been made yeah like the film industry has made a lot of 100 million plus budget giant blockbuster movie they have it down to a science it's astounding how quickly to me they can make them um but they you know they have a methodology um you know that they also have you know, revenue that, um, that justifies. Um, and so you were just at a point where people are still learning on how to make those, those giant, giant games and make them efficiently. And the truth is, I, I don't think we know how to make them efficiently for the most part there, there are, you know, I can certainly point to some games that I would say that was a pretty damn big game that is relatively bug free, like Spider-Man, man, hats off. Um, the new God of War, the, you know, the last one, amazing. Um, those games feel rock solid. Now, I don't know how long those games took. Maybe they took seven, eight years as well, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't, they don't feel like they went through quite the, the length and, um, and process, but you know, with um, you know, I've I've worked on games that have taken a lot longer than they felt they should have, and in almost every case, it was because we were dealing with massive unknowns um, and made choices that, because of our lack of knowledge turned out to be the wrong choices and cost us time and, um, um, and energy. Um, and so, you know, now I can go back to any game, almost any game I've made, except for probably Dawn of War, because Dawn of War was made extremely efficiently. Um, but almost any game I've made, I could go back and make it quicker. Um, you know, we had a, I had, a a boss, um, uh, Rob Pardo at, um, at Blizzard, who told me once, yeah, you're going to be really good at making this game around the time that you're done making this game. And it's, it's true. Um, and that's why I think for a lot of people, you, a lot of de- development teams, you often see it's their second game, you know, that is amazing um, or takes a big leap over the first because they learn so much 
um, through that development process. Yeah, that's actually leading into my next question. Now, no and, <laughs> and talking about the, the the first things we were talking about, and maybe it's just a working theory. So play with me here. Um. You know the the moving thing was real. I mean, the, the 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 thing about traveling artists, every game developer is going to the best job all the time. So that also means you know there's a high turnover rate, low retention rate at every company, and these big budget games are you know always getting bigger. But in a lot of these sequels, it's like whole different teams, uh, or at least part a hybrid of new and old. Right. So we don't have let's say the first team kind of leading into the second team of we've done this before here's to do it again but add a little more and so that kind of throws i don't know every lesson learned um away and that causes a lot of issues during production and i don't know if maybe remote will fix a lot of that problem where not a lot of people would be inclined to leaving all the time um I wonder in this generation, and I would love to hear your opinion of, is that going to be solved? Because I feel like that really does help. I, I, with films, those guys usually travel together. It's like always the same crew. It's this very small circle. So it's very easy to kind of move on and work on another project with another director, but it's the same crew. So they know what they're doing. With games, I don't feel like we have that as much. Um, like I, I think from all my friends all the way back from 2k to sledgehammer everyone has been spread out every single time <laughs> i never i don't know a team that has stayed together um very long uh unfortunately and i, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about that i don't think that is a um people quitting issue um that is a um how development studios run kind of issue and also the process for how you make a game so you make a game um and over the process of making that game you your team grows and grows and grows um as you need more and more people to to finish the game you get you reach the end and then you go to the beginning of a new game and you know depending on the size of your team anywhere from 50 to 80 90% of your team you don't need like you don't you don't you don't need a full production team when you're trying to figure out the very beginning of your game like what you're when you're at the very very beginning trying to work out um now if you um so and then so that that's one issue so you you know the the tendency is let's spread these people out to other places there's often other teams that desperately need help um because they are starting to gear up towards their release and so the tendency is to you know, take these people and put them, say, well, this thing's on fire over here. We're going to take these people and they're going to fight fires on this other project. Um, and as a result, like you end up kind of unintentionally tearing up the teams. Um, I actually felt like Blizzard was really good about this for the most part. They They actually kept teams together and sometimes at the cost of um, 
that cost to the company because you, the team would be bigger than you'd need. They would pull some people, like, but they'd also do, instead of just saying, like, oh, we're going to take this person and now you're on the World of Warcraft team or you're on the Overwatch team, we, we would loan people. We would say, you're going to go work on WoW for six months and then you're going to come back. Um, and that way, they, the team still stayed more intact. And actually, there was a big benefit because you'd go to a different team and you'd learn how they do things and then you could bring back your learning to your original team. Um, and then what we would do is spend that time, um, even though like we had a large team, we would support the game we just released with patches and new content and uh, we'd start expansions and um, and then a chunk of the team would start working on what the new game was going to be. Um, and um, that that model worked pretty well. It is not the most efficient. Um, but in terms of the short, in the short term, it, it seems like, why do we have people just, you know, not working super hard when we've got other people in the company doing like, like killing themselves. Uh, but in the long run, it actually, um, benefits greatly because you keep those teams together, you keep communication, uh, you know, a, once a team has worked together for a while, they learn how to work together and it, it has a huge benefit. Um, and, um, that long-term benefit is, can be kind of easy to overlook, um, because it's long-term, like, you don't, you don't see it right away. Um, but it's worth it. I, I really think that methodology was good like that loan people out, but keep them, keep trying to keep teams together. Occasionally people would leave when they were like, not when they were, when they were done, which is understandable. Sometimes you spend a long time on something, you want to do something new. Um, but, um, but for the most part, you know, teams were kept together and, um, and the effort was towards, well, let's find work for everyone to do while we have a small nucleus start on the new game. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's no coincidence a company like Valve, like Blizzard, um, have like this continued success with either old IPs or new IPs. And it, it, a lot of that I can only attribute to the team staying together. And um, that is like a very privileged and very smart strategy. Uh position to be in uh, i think a lot of developers are just trying to get that one hit under their belt right so yeah. it's, it's very hard to <laughs> have like so many hits just like blizzard to be able to cycle through developers i, and, I do think though a lot of the times people will attribute to blizzard like well they're like well they're just that's blizzard so you can't you know nobody else can do that it's just blizzard and my response is no, anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. Like anyone can do it. It's not nearly as as um, privileged as people might think. the The truth is, when you keep a chunk of your team treating your game like a live service, no is that is there a is there a direct monetization to that um, that you can easily measure? 
arguably no. I you, I could argue there is, but but the truth is, the more your game is supported, the more your game will continue to sell. Yeah. Um, and that I, I think we're seeing that now. Like we're seeing that now in in you know if you look at uh, especially like small indie companies and they release an early access and the early access version of their game feels like a finished game and then they do regular updates that you know every you know two months three months there's bam 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 regular update that comes out um i know having spoken to some of those companies they're they often sell as much or more in their second year of, of release than their first and that is unheard of mm-hmm. yeah, normally you release a game the lion's majority of your sales in, unless you have some kind of multiplayer or continuing like game as game as a service element um, the vast majority of your sales are in month one and that's you're done um but yeah, no, these these companies, just because they continue to support and release, and um, it, it brings back streamers, it brings back, uh, you know, a- audience that is loyal, and there's no resistance to coming back because they've already bought the game. But truth is, the more people playing your game, the more pe- new people are going to buy your game. Um, and so that's that's actually a true statement for any developer. Like, it, all I see, early access... To me, for these, a lot of these companies is no different than the way Blizzard would release a game and then support that game after. Uh, it's just that, you know, we don't call it that. We call it early access. Um, and so I don't think that the privileged kind of um, place that Blizzard operates from is nearly as privileged as people say it is. I think it's an excuse a lot of the times, especially when you've got somebody who's like a, a huge developer with a, a large, you know, large coffers of cash. They did not have to release that game early. Like they didn't, they didn't have to, um, you know, they could have, they could have held off. They could have supported that, that game a little longer, um, but they just didn't, they didn't. They didn't want to. They, they wanted to put their money somewhere else. Um, and you know, maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But in my opinion, it's better to support what you have than uh, if you truly believe in it. And if you don't truly believe in it, why'd you make it in the first place? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Cyberpunk team is feeling really wrong right now. <laughs> but I completely agree with you. I think a lot of these issues is. But we know what their position is. Like they're Mm -hmm. they're a private company. They're they don't like I don't know what their financials are. Nobody does. But I mean Mm -hmm. they're they're what you know. I believe their primary financials are the Witcher series. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a giant team to support. Those teams burn money at an enormous rate. Like we just we don't know what their situation is. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a result, and again, like it's hard to defend a, um, a troubled release on the one hand, on the other hand, there's enough people piling on to them that I'm, I'm going to go the other route. The other way around. We just don't know. And, what went um, wrong, yeah. and I, I don't, I, do, I think it's perfectly fine for people to be mad. 
like and for people to feel um to feel like the product is not what it should be um but i also think the proper response to it is this is not what we hoped what are you guys going to do about it yeah and if you do the right thing then we'll support it as a community um I think No Man's Sky is a perfect example. No Man's Sky is a perfect example. People forget that Destiny was yeah. really painful when it first came out. Very and then painful. Months later, all everybody talked about was Destiny. Yeah. Um, honestly, it seems like about every six months, Destiny is the worst game in the world. And suddenly, <laughs> like three months later, the greatest game in the world. I think a lot of this is a definition problem. Just call everything an early release from now on, and people will be far forgiving. <laughs> it's like, ah, I get it. Well, I mean, I they're is, patching it already. Yeah. There's so many like early access games. Like, I'm like, that's not an early access. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a done game. That's a done uh, game that they're just going to continue to add features to. Yeah. I that's why I always feel uh like it's always helpful to look at other parts of the industry that that is I feel like they're fixing a lot of the issues uh already like the mobile industry is a good example they test their game design first before you know really monetizing it or really investing into it the indie teams are finding solutions as well uh to figure out how to way you know to survive and still be paying the bills and all this stuff and I, I do feel out of all parts of the industry, AAA is still, they, they've done better in the past year with, well, I mean, loot boxes had a bad taste in the mouth now, but I mean, that that was a good and the right, you know, there, there was something there, obviously, in the DLC, all this stuff. We were trying to incorporate a lot of this stuff, but in a large portion of it, very old school and how, you know, once the game is out, that's how you make money and then you work on another game and that's it. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I think I think yeah. if you look at AAA, it's the it's the hardest. It's the hardest. Yep. The least turnaround. Like you look at um, uh, Grounded, the mm-hmm. game from and granted, Obsidian's owned by Microsoft, but Grounded is basically made like an indie game. I think they had small eight, team, yeah, eight to twelve somewhere in that range. I, I don't know exactly. Is a tiny team. They had what two million players in the first forty-eight hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a massive turn turnaround. Like that, profit-wise, that's that's enormous. Um, mobile games, you know, everybody knows like the profit margins on those. That's why so much of the industry focuses on them. Um, now, the I do think there's an issue there of. Um, so much of the industry is focused on them that actually turns around and becomes a, you know, you end up with a lot more failures because the market can only support so much. But, um, but regardless, the, when you have a hit as a mobile game, your return on investment is ridiculous. Yeah. When you have a giant hit as a triple um, A game, you're still never going to get return on investment yep. um, in in scale with something like a mobile game or um, or an indie game, uh, something that was made with a small team. And uh, I think that's one of the things, you know, I, I think outside of game development, game developers, t- this is not big news to them, but for 
you know, game players for the gaming community, never really been an understanding of like how much it costs to make games and how difficult it can be to get a the kind of return that is expected in the business world nowadays. Um, and, you know, you could say that that is unreal, unrealistic in and of itself. But what it comes down to is if you have a company that can make um, a, you know, million dollar profit, which is, by the way, million dollars, nothing um, in terms of game development. It's, it's you know, Coke money. Um, and by Coke, I don't mean... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean the soda. Yeah. Um, if you've, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to use bigger numbers. If you have a project that can make a hundred million and cost 10 versus a project that can, um, make a hundred million costs 50. Yeah. Why wouldn't you make the one that costs 10? Like, um, and the answer right now, um, is, is really comes down to two things. One is that those are the games that have the impact on our culture. You know, people don't talk about mobile games in terms of their cultural impact, but things like Red Dead have cultural impact. Like we, they move us as humans. Um, and um, that has a lot of value to, um, and unfortunately, like we're it's business. It's business. Uh, I wish it wasn't, but it is because it's a business that's got to have value, and it does. Thankfully, it has value to you know. Sony wants to release exclusives that the world talks about because it raises Sony's prestige. And that matters to them. It has a dollar amount at the end of the day that matters to them. And then the rest of the reason is because we have dreamers. We have people who dream big and shoot for the stars and good for them. Um, But that's it. Like there's so many, there's so much, so many better arguments for doing mobile free-to-play development or doing um, indie development than there are for doing AAA development. Um, And that's something I think we should keep in mind if we want AAA development to stick around. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic note uh, to to end this podcast. And I completely agree with you. I, I think as a game developer... Um, there's a narcissistic quality to ourselves. I want to see my game enjoyed <laughs> mm-hmm. in a shorter time frame. I don't want to wait a decade uh, before people know what I'm doing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think overall uh, that helps with the business model of things. Um, it, I it don't is, think that that's crazy. narcissistic. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that I I really think that game developers want to bring joy to the world. Like they yeah. want they want to see people happy and having a good time. And I, I think that that's, um, I don't think that's narcissistic. I think that that's a, a, 
it's a great quality to have we're entertainers we want to entertain yeah Yeah. like and that's that's what it comes down to is is and it's tough because you know entertainers have you know not a tradition of the most um um rock hard concrete egos Mm -hmm. and and personalities we tend to be a fragile bunch but we're not we're not you know in this day and age like you're just supposed to take whatever comes at you like whatever abuse it it doesn't matter just suck it up that's the internet yeah and you know but that's you know entertainers i don't think have changed in in that element but at, at the end of the day like they still dedicate their lives to um to trying to make other people happy and um uh, a lot of them benefit a lot less than people might think. Yeah. And I think this industry, uh, if anything, has has been a welcome benefit to the pandemic with people stuck at home and, and trying to look for that escape. And we tell me about it. Yeah. It's for, for me personally, it's been helpful. Um, I want to congratulate you. Go ahead. Play games has actually gotten smaller for the first time. In wow, the <laughs> Steam wish lists are actually being conquered all over the yes. world this past year. <laughs> uh, but I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast, giving us an hour of your wisdom and time. Uh, this is the part where I hand the mic over to you and shut up uh, to promote, give attention to, shout out to anybody, anything that you want to talk about. All right. Well, um, the first thing I would say is. I did spend part of this four years off writing a novel. Um, it is called Dead Man Detective, and it is a paranormal mystery. Uh, so if you like ghosts and mysteries, and um, then it, it's not a it's not a game related thing, but it is a um, from what I'm told by my readers a a pretty good read, and it's up on Amazon, um, and it's spelled exactly like it sounds: Dead Man Detective. Uh, by I I go by J P Wilson so I can have that website. <laughs> um, and uh, I have another announcement that I can't make yet, but I I you know I am getting back into game development, and I'm hoping if things work out the way I want, um, I will have a big announcement soon. But um, I, it hasn't reached that point yet. Awesome. Well, because- I'm I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, I don't know what the announcement is, but I would have to like, I'm looking forward to read the book and books are a great source uh, of inspiration <laughs> for, for creative endeavors. I uh, hopefully, you know, one day we can see that into the game. Who knows? But uh, uh, I want to thank you for your time, man. Thank you for coming back on. It's good to see you after all these years and uh, have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody